Bauer. Pastor has asked me to uh, take the Sunday school class for today. And what I'm going to do is uh, go over the message that I had at uh, Stanley this last week, or yesterday actually, and uh, give you a sample of what uh, type of things we uh, have there at Stanley for our service. John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'd like to talk uh, this morning about why Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Why is Jesus Christ the only way of salvation exclusive of all others? There is no other way. Why is that true? To understand this, we need to first of all go back to the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There was a time when there was nothing else but God. God was all there was. And then he created what we have today, the universe. Heaven, earth, the stars, In order to understand why Christ is our uh, only way of salvation, we need to first of all understand our Creator. God's most basic characteristic is holiness. And we are created in the image of God, and we're accountable to God for our lives as well. Psalms 100 verse 3 says, Know ye the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So let's look a little bit about the characteristic of God and his holiness. First thing we need to do is uh, define what we mean by holiness. Let's look first of all at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. The first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. We see from this portion of uh, the Bible that God is supremely and completely holy. 
His holiness is repeated three times here to emphasize how extremely pure he is and his character. I think in a way it kind of points to the Trinity, but uh, it's an emphasis on the extreme holiness of God. So we need to define what we mean when we talk about holiness. Holiness is a self-affirmed purity. God maintains his own moral excellence. What do I mean by that? Purity is purity of substance. God's moral character uh, is, first of all, that he is pure, and then he wills to be pure. He is the source of all standard of what is right. Now, purity of substance can be uh, something that an inanimate object would have. Uh, A diamond is pure, but it's not living. God is a personal being, and so he not only is pure uh, in his character, but he wills and he wants to be pure. He knows that he is holy, and he defends that holiness. Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So God is aware of his holiness. He knows every aspect of his holiness, and he's going to uh, maintain that. Another aspect of his holiness is his purity is willed by him. What that means is every other attribute about him must conform to his holiness. Uh, We as uh, God's creatures have more than one characteristic to our personality. So does God. He's holy, but he's a lot of other things. But every other attribute that he has must conform, first of all, to his holiness. <clears throat> he will not violate his holiness to do anything else uh, that he is able to do. Uh, man was created in God's image, and we have that same um, desire for self-preservation, for self-respect, for assertion of ourselves. And God... Uh, maintains and asserts his holiness. Another aspect of holiness is righteousness. Righteousness is God's demand for all moral beings to conform to his perfection. When something is righteous, it conforms to God's holiness. Any action that we do must conform to his holiness. Psalms 11.7 says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. In Psalms 11.5 it says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked at him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Because God is so completely pure, uh, we are not able to live up to his standard. The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, 
and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Uh, Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And again, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we cannot live up to God's righteousness, his moral perfection. There's another aspect of God's holiness, and that's justice. Justice is visiting our nonconformity to God's perfect holiness with loss and suffering. In other words, if we break God's law, we suffer for it, and he, he, is, he will punish uh, that breaking of his laws that come from his holiness. Justice is purity, demanding purity from creation. And it's another expression of God's holiness. Justice demands and binds God to punish just as much as it binds us uh, to be punished as we sin against God. Psalms uh, 89.14 says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Part of justice is individual responsibility for our actions. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So we are each individually accountable to God for our actions. Uh, We can't put our guilt onto someone else. Uh, When we stand before God, we are each individually responsible uh, for uh, our lives and the fact that we did not live up to God's perfect holiness. So that's justice. But as I mentioned before, uh, God is as much more to his person than just holiness. And one of the aspects of God is love. And we know that uh, throughout the Bible. And John tells us that God is love in First uh, John. But the love of God is a rational affection. And it's grounded in uh, conformity to his holiness. He will not do anything in love that will not uh, also conform to his holiness. And we know that from our own experience that um, love has to have certain other restraints and things attached to it to be true love. Uh, A person may go beyond the bounds of what is good because they love something and and, and it's not right. God's love uh, always is um, controlled and filtered through his holiness. Psalms 116 verse 5 says, Gracious said the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Another aspect of God's love is the ability and the possibility of God to suffer. God can suffer for 
our sins, on account of our sins. His holiness necessitates punishment, but God took that punishment upon himself for us. And this is atonement. This is the love of God, that he must punish sin. Justice requires a person that sins must die, but God took that punishment upon himself and died in our place. How did God reconcile holiness and love? It's through substitution. Substitution. Substitution is something that isn't uh, known to the law. We just saw a little while ago, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So that is the law. So substitution is above and beyond the power of law. It's uh, an operation of grace. It's God's grace. But even grace does not supersede uh, the law, but it fulfills the law. It must fulfill the law. The righteousness of the law is maintained, but it's fulfilled through uh, the one that gives the law, takes the punishment upon himself. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So let's look at some examples of substitution and see which would be just and right for God to do. Let's look at uh, Romans 3. Romans 3. Starting at verse 24. Romans 3.24 Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believed in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So here it says that God uh, must be just and the justifier of him that believes in Christ. And so... um, Let's look at a few examples of substitution and see what would be just in substitution. First example is a person commits a murder and he comes before the judge and admits to the crime and is found guilty. And the penalty for this crime is death. But the judge says, I love this person. I'm not going to sentence him. I'm just going to let him go. Is that justice? That's not justice. There's no justice for the man that was murdered. There's no justice for the family of the man that was murdered. God said in Exodus 20:13, "Thou shalt not kill." To allow a person to go unpunished is to violate God's own holiness. 
It's his standard. It's his law. And if he says, oh, I don't care, he just, you know, you can go. That's not holiness, and that's not justice. So that type of uh, substitution uh, isn't right. That doesn't uh, follow God's holiness. Another scenario is a person commits murder and is sentenced to death. However, the judge again says, I love this person. And I'm not going to have him put to death, but I'm going to have you, or you, one of you. You're going to die in his place. And so that person is put to death, and the guilty person is let go. Is that just? No. God doesn't simply substitute one person for another. Remember, we already said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Uh, If God violates that, again, he's violating his holiness. Uh, One sinner can't die for another sinner. It's not just, it's not right, and it doesn't fulfill the requirement that uh, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Okay, let's look at a third scenario. A person commits murder and is sentenced to death. The judge pronounces the offender guilty and sentences him to death. And then he takes off his robe, puts on the prison garb, and dies in his place. Is that just? Well, for a human judge, it wouldn't be, because he's just as much of a sinner as the person that uh, committed that crime. But yes, it would be just for God because he is the ultimate lawgiver he is the ultimate judge and he can who is perfect can take our place no one has gotten away with it the the punishment has been given the law has been enforced let's look at uh, Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53. Starting in verse 3. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, starting in 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, We hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we... Like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this substitution satisfies God because God Himself died for our sins. The one that pronounced the judgment is the one that took the penalty upon Himself and paid the price for breaking the law. 
Now let's continue with the uh, scenario that we just talked about. After dying in the offender's place, the judge raises from the dead and comes back into the courtroom and gives the guilty offender the option of either accepting what the judge did for him or die for his own crimes. And that person accepts the judge's offer and has pardoned. Is that just? Yes, it's just. Because the crime has been paid for. The, the judge himself paid for it. He didn't make anyone else pay for it. He didn't substitute anyone else. The lawgiver took upon himself that penalty and died in his place. And he offered that person the choice of accepting what he's done for him and or not, and he said, I, I'll accept it. And so that is just in God's sight. Now, if that guilty person says, I hate that judge, I don't want to have anything to do with him, I wouldn't accept anything from him, no matter what he does for me. I'd rather die than take anything from him. So then that person dies for his own offense. Is that just? He was given the opportunity. He was given the gift of life, really. It was his choice. Justice is satisfied if the guilty person chooses not to accept the gift, and then he pays the penalty himself. We know the verse John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But we need to go beyond that. So let's look in John, the third chapter, starting at verse 17. John 3, starting at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So here it tells us that if we reject what God has provided through Christ, uh, we're condemned already because we've rejected the only way of salvation that God has provided through Christ. And as we uh, mentioned before in Isaiah, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as Pastor has uh, mentioned several times uh, in the uh, book of Romans, the uh, word reckon or accounting so God has taken our sins and reckoned and accounted them to Christ's death on the cross, and he takes Christ's righteousness and accounted it to us for salvation. 
we mentioned before, why is Jesus Christ the only way of salvation? First of all, he's our creator. Uh, John 1, let's just turn back there, John, the first chapter. Starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. And then in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So first of all, Christ is our creator. He's the one that created us as human beings. Sometimes we think of God kind of in the abstract and sometimes don't really equate Jesus Christ as our creator. He is our creator. He's the one that created us. The very one that came to this earth and walked as and uh, was among us as a human being is the same one that created us as human beings. So he has the right of uh, judgment as, first of all, being our creator. And then he is also our judge. Let's look at uh, Acts 10. Acts 10. Starting at verse 38. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that as he, which was ordained of God, to be the judge of the quick and the dead." Jesus Christ is our judge. The Bible says that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He is the judge that we were talking about in these scenarios. He is the God of holiness. And he was the one that had the right and the ability to die in our place because he was, uh, the Bible says, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He took upon himself human nature so that he could die in our place. So as God, the perfect holy God, died in our place, he provided the way of salvation through substitution. Another reason that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation is that uh, salvation through Christ was settled even before the world was created. Forgiveness through Christ was settled uh, and satisfied God's holiness 
before he even created one atom of the universe. And so it was woven into the very fabric of the universe that he created. Let's look at 1 Peter 1. First Peter one and verse eighteen. First Peter one eighteen. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And then Second uh, Timothy one nine says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So before God even created the world, he had determined that Jesus Christ was the way of salvation, that uh, he was going to provide salvation through Christ, and there was no other way. God has already determined the way of salvation, and he's provided it through Christ. And he's not going to allow any other way of forgiveness. He paid an infinitely high price for our Salvation, and it would be an offense against him to reject this uh, self sacrifice. Let's look at John 10. John, the 10th chapter. Starting in verse 1, John 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then skip down to verse 7, it says, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So what Jesus is saying here is that uh, if you try any other way of salvation, God considers you a thief and a robber. You're going around what God has already provided through Christ. Jesus said, I am that door of the sheep. And if you try and crawl in any other way into heaven or uh, go around what God has already provided, God considers you a thief and a robber. God has already uh, determined the way of salvation. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If we disrespect what God has done for us, and either through uh, neglect or ignorance or uh, hostility, um, reject what God has provided, uh, we can... Uh, expect God's judgment. Uh, let's look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 29. I actually start in verse 28. Hebrews 10, 28. 
He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherein he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. It's a very fearful thing to stand before God on our own merit and reject or neglect what God has provided here through Christ, the blood of the covenant, and done despite to the uh, spirit of grace. So God has uh, ordained there be no other way except through Jesus Christ. When Paul was in uh, Philippi on his missionary journey through there, um, he was beaten and put into prison. And uh, during the night, God sent an earthquake and it opened the doors of the prison and released all their uh, bounds, uh, shackles or whatever were holding them. And the prison guard uh, saw the doors open and he was going to kill himself because uh, it was the uh, duty of the uh, person that was in charge of the prison to guard the prisoners with his life. And so if they escaped, he would be killed. So he was going to kill himself. And at the last moment, uh, Paul cried out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And that man uh, came in, trembling, the Bible says, and asked, what must I do to be saved? Uh, he perhaps heard uh, Paul preach. Uh, he'd heard him singing hymns during the night. So he knew that uh, he needed to be saved. And he asked, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that's what he did. He accepted Christ as his Savior, as his substitute, and he was saved in his house. And uh, he was that close to eternity, going out into eternity without Christ. But he heard the gospel, and he accepted Christ, and he was saved. God is merciful, but he's also holy, and he must provide salvation in a way that will satisfy his holiness and yet accomplish his love towards us. And that way is Jesus Christ. We don't have a whole lot of time at Stanley, so that's all I have. So... Let's uh, close in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, we're truly thankful that